On today's episode, we dive into the fashion world and delve into a war between two online retailers to see who can sell you the cheapest clothing imaginable and whether one or both sides in that war are fighting dirty. Hello, you're listening to On the Merits, the weekly news podcast from Bloomberg Law and Bloomberg Government. I'm your host, David Schultz. So you may be aware that there is an online retailer called Shein that sells a lot of stuff, mainly women's clothing, and mainly for extremely low prices. Bloomberg Law reporter Katie Arsiri just came out with a story about a legal dispute the Singapore-based Shein is involved in. More on that in a bit. And I had Katie come into the studio and show me Shein's website and what the company's all about. Um, and let's see, U.S. site. We can save up to 15% off. Let's shop now. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So there's a big, there's a lot of pop-up ads that I'm seeing, and it wants me to <laughs> send me notifications and... Oh, yeah. Free so, returns. Oh, wow. This is a really busy website. This is very busy. <laughs> so maybe Shein doesn't have the best user interface, but what it does have is an enormous selection and ridiculously low prices. Okay. $4 for pants. $4 for pants. How? How? <laughs> We've got an off-the-shoulder ruched gown for 1572 that's, that's, that's like a ball a, gown <laughs> it's a ball gown that's like something you could wear to a wedding exactly for how much 15 15 dollars and then you have 15 percent off with your i paid more at, for like a cocktail <laughs> so what's the business model here well first off Shein is online only no physical stores and though these clothes may look like they're made by name brand designers they're definitely not these are oftentimes just replicas of what the celebrities are wearing. Oh, I see. So these are what we, uh, what some people might call knockoffs. Uh, yeah, knockoff of a Chanel dress. You wear it for you know a couple times, and you end up throwing it away after a couple washes. Wow. Yeah. And that's what it's all about at Shein: ultra cheap replicas that are designed to be essentially disposable. It's a practice called ultra fast fashion. But now, ironically, Shein is dealing with a knockoff of itself. The Chinese-based e-retailer Timu is doing pretty much the same thing that Shein is doing, selling ultra-fast fashion clothing online at bargain basement prices. Katie and I went to Timu's website to see what we could find. Some of these. Okay, so we got a maxi cami dress for ten seventy nine. Again, I've like had lunches that are more than that. Yeah. Like a lot more than that. Shein is predictably not very happy about this, and it's taken to the U.S. judicial system to fight its online rival. Timu, however, has hit back with its own lawsuit against Shein that poses some really interesting questions about how antitrust law works. Yes, antitrust law, because Timu is arguing that Shein has an unfair monopoly in the market of ultra-fast fashion, a market that I'm betting many of you didn't know existed until a few moments ago. I get into the contours of this novel antitrust claim with Katie in a bit, but first I wanted to find out exactly how these two clothing websites work behind the scenes. Both Timu and Xi'an have uh, relationships with manufacturers all over the world, specifically in China. Xi'an has uh, relationships with uh, manufacturers in, in Brazil as well. And so think of them as like marketplaces for buyers and sellers. They are able to communicate with these manufacturers that create a small subset of 
goods of apparel and they put them on social media, see what sells, and then start to make a lot of them. And so you're seeing thousands of items actually launched on these websites per day, as opposed to, say, H&M and Zara, which produce maybe 25,000 styles per year. So this is, I guess, what one would call ultra fast fashion, right? That's that's what we're talking about. And fast fashion, I guess, would be H&M and Zara, where they come out with, you know, a new brand every week or maybe a couple every week, whereas this is every day. This is every day. And it's not not just every day. It's thousands of different items um, thrown at American consumers every day. And the price point is actually lower. Um, ultra fast fashion is sort of a subset of the fast fashion market. And it's it's characterized by even lower price point than Zara and, and, and H&M, as well as like Amazon and Walmart. Okay. So let's get into the litigation here. Uh, both of these companies are suing each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I want to start off with the litigation that Shein has against Timu, um, and we'll get to the the other one in a minute. But Shein versus Timu, what is uh, what is Shein's complaint against its rival here? Sure. Well, Shein pretty much started the fight uh, last year. They filed a U.S. complaint um, against Timu, saying that it, that Timu infringed on its trademark and copyright uh, rights to drive basically customers away. And they said that Timu also impersonated Shein through imposter social media accounts, literally pretending to be the Shein brand using these social media accounts. That sounds not very cool. Uh, is there any truth to that? What is Timu saying? We, we do know that Xi'an just won a restraining order against Timu for this, with this copyright suit. So it looks like Xi'an has kind of the upper hand in this particular suit for now. Wow. Uh, well, if that wasn't juicy enough, uh, as I already mentioned, Timu is also suing Xi'an, its main rival. And this is uh, you know, not just something involving copyright. This involves antitrust. Can you get into that suit a little bit? Because that's, I think, the main thrust of your story and, um, you know, could have broad impacts on other businesses. Right. Uh, So Timu um, filed suit against Xi'an, claiming that Xi'an has dominated the market for ultra fast fashion in the U.S. Not only that, but that it has bullied manufacturers to stop doing business with Timu and w- would impose fines if it did if they did do business with Timu. So Timu is doing very well in the U.S., but it's saying it would have do- done even better if it wasn't for Xi'an's alleged misconduct. Alleged, you know, anti-competitive practices, monopolization. But the the real question here is, can you monopolize a niche of a niche market? And we'll get to that in a minute. But first, I want to ask you, why is this even being heard in the U.S. to begin with? Because I thought both of these companies were based overseas. What's why? Why are the U.S. courts hearing this case? Yeah, so Xi'an is based in Singapore. It has relationships, like I said, with with manufacturers all over the world, and specifically in China. And Timu is this ultra low cost platform that's a subsidiary of PDD Holdings, which is a multinational e commerce company. Um, I talked to a lot of attorneys who have said that you know private antitrust enforcement in the U.S. is very developed. We have really good courts here. We have very uh, well-versed antitrust attorneys. This is a great place to have your case heard, um, as opposed to maybe overseas where you're dealing with a lot of government enforcers. So they're kind of really taking taking this fight to battle right here in the U.S. And they're open to the possibility of discovery. If these cases advance and they don't end up in a settlement, you know, they may end up actually in turning over internal documents, which is a very big change for any company associated with China. You know, we know that uh, there will probably be protective orders everywhere, but it's a it's a big risk and they seem willing to take it. Wow. Um, so that's why it's here. But let's get into really what this case is about. Again, uh, we mentioned it earlier. Mm-hmm. 
Timu is saying Shein has a monopoly over ultra fast fashion, not just fast fashion, mm-hmm. ultra fast fashion. And they're saying that because they have a monopoly in this very small new market, that is an anti-competitive practice. That's I, I get from reading your story. That's very unusual that, you know, claiming that someone has a monopoly in a niche market can be grounds for an antitrust lawsuit. Can you get into that a little bit and why this is such a novel case? Well, you have to really if you're bringing an antitrust suit, you do have to define your market. And they've defined this market in a pretty detailed way. They go to great lengths to explain that ultra fast fashion is truly different from regular fast fashion, which H&M and Zara, um, you know, are are really in. Um, And so what they're saying is that that Xi'an has, has more than 75% of the U.S. ultra-fast fashion market, and that that in itself is anti-competitive. Um, and they go, like I said, they go to great lengths to to explain what the market is, how it's even lower price point than fast fashion, how they're dealing with manufacturers directly to provide you know thousands of styles per day. And so they do a pretty good job of doing that. Um, what they what we have right now though are really just allegations. You know, it, even though they are very detailed with their with their suit. They just don't really have a ton of evidence. That will come later if these suits advance. I see. But I, I get the sense that Sheehan really doesn't buy this. Of course, I mean, they're you know on the defending side of the lawsuit. You know, make their, make their argument for them. What, what, are, what are they saying in response to Timu? Right. Well, attorneys I've talked to have said that Sheehan probably will file a motion to dismiss in the coming weeks saying, you know, ultra fast fashion is not its own market. In fact, it's no different from regular fast fashion or it's not even different from all of retail where we have Macy's and Nordstrom and other big players. So they're kind of going to they're most likely going to try to knock this uh, suit out of the U.S. and get rid of it by trying to say that there is no such thing as ultra fast fashion. Is there any precedent for this where there was an antitrust lawsuit over what seemed like a really niche market? Yeah, I mean, well, the Gilead Teva trial, which is completely, you know, separate market. It's the, you know, it was talking about yeah, the pharmaceutical market. Gilead was able to to and Teva were able to prove that there was a market for two HIV um, treatment drugs, and they were able to prove that you know other comp- other people people could go to other other competitors besides those two markets. So it is something that every antitrust case has to have a defined market, right. but it's about proving that that is the challenge. What do people in antitrust world think about this? Uh, you've talked with attorneys uh, and just people who are observers of this area, uh, you know, who are not involved in this case. What do they think? Do they think Timu is going to get laughed out of court or do they think Timu has a real case here? I mean, I think that they're, the people I've talked to have said that, you know, they've drawn a pretty good complaint here, that they go, that it's, they've done their research, you know, that it's a well-written, you know, that, that they back up their claims. It's not just copying and pasting from another lawsuit. Um, they really have done a lot of work um, to put this together. Whether it'll move forward is yet to be seen. Um, what we do know is probably, you know, Sheehan, it's probably going to keep Sheehan a little bit at bay with any kind of... Um, you know, expansion, expansion in the yeah. in the U.S. to kind of um, thwart uh, T move and more. But this is a battle that's going to be going on likely for the years to come. So wow. we will see this battle kind of play out um, for for a while here in the U.S. And then finally, um, let's talk about the the broader implications here for other industries. Mm-hmm. If Timu is successful in defining its own market so narrowly. I could see a lot of other companies doing the same thing, you know, coming in and saying, you know, you, my competitor, are monopolizing this really, really niche market and therefore you need to be broken up or you need to stop doing that. 
Do you see that happening? Like, could this set a precedent that other companies and other industries could use, or is this more of a one-off? I think there's a lot of people watching, industry players, but other, you know, sub-markets of fast fashion. I think they'll definitely be looking at what happens with this particular suit and sort of trying to, to pull out maybe a similar argument for their own cases. Yeah. All right. Well, that was Katie Arciri uh, talking about Timu and Shein and fast fashion and uh, maxi dresses and (laughs) all kinds of stuff. Uh, Thank you, Katie. This was great. This This was a lot of fun. Thanks. And that'll do it for today's episode of On the Merits. It was produced by myself, David Schultz, our editor is Andrew Satter, and our executive producer is Josh Block. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. I felt like I was in jail every day when I was going to work. I'm like, I got to get out of here. My executive order calls on the FTC to ban or limit non-compete agreements. Let workers choose who they want to work for. This season on Uncommon Law, we're exploring one of the most expansive Federal Trade Commission proposals in modern history, a nationwide ban on non-compete clauses. Non-compete clauses can really restrict competition. They can be coercive, they can be exploitative. We'll talk to workers who were desperate to take new jobs in their industry, only to be blocked by threat of a lawsuit. I remember getting served my cease and desist and thinking that this can't be right. This can't be fair. How can she get away with this? And we'll talk to the business owners who say they depend on these clauses to keep their companies afloat. I think like with anything else, when you enter into an agreement, there are rules. And you decide if you want to participate in that or not. I just believe that there should be some protections for small businesses like myself that are already in a very competitive industry. Plus, does the FTC under chair Lena Khan even have the power to pass this rule? Look, Congress gave the FTC the authority to check unfair methods of competition. There is no limit to what Khan thinks she may be able to achieve if she can label it an unfair method of competition. Lena Khan is not coming out of nowhere. It really is the natural progression of the insights that we have about how harmful non-competes are on our markets. Join us as we explore the far-reaching implications of this proposal and the likely court battle that could shape the future of the American workforce. That's this season on Uncommon Law from Bloomberg Industry Group.